in chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, that through it he being dead still speaks. We spent a considerable amount of time on the first four verses in our previous sessions together, meetings together, and we learned that faith is equivalent to the actual Greek word implies trust. Trust. Trusting God for something we don't have. Trusting God for something we don't see. And we learn that faith is the receipt of something we have been given by God, namely His promises. All that He's spoken to us. We have a receipt in our hands, which is faith, the evidence. The evidence of things not seen. We equated this to going to a store or ordering something and we have a receipt or an evidence that we can present to the merchant that this has been paid for. And we are awaiting the delivery of the goods. Faith in God's promise is an evidence as well as a substance. In other words, it's not a hope or a wish merely. Hope is powerful. God gives hope when there's darkness and despair and chaos and pain. He comes and tells us, I have come to give you life that more abundantly. In the midst of our suffering, it's the Word of God that gives us hope. As stars shine so brilliantly against the black night sky, every Word of God is precious, every promise delivers hope. But it's faith that obtains the promise. We hope in God, but it's faith that secures the promise. It's an evidence that I have what God told me He'd give me because I'm exercising wholehearted trust in the one who told me so. And we stated that from verses 1 to 3, 
faith is not only instrumental in helping us to believe God for things that we are in need of, what He has promised to us, but faith is also the very substance, the foundation for believing that God created all things. That everything we see was created by an invisible God, invisible to the human eye. Hallelujah. God is supernatural. He dwells in a supernatural place. But from Him, the Alpha and the Omega originated the entire universe. And by His Word, it is sustained. It takes faith to believe that. And that's highlighted here. That it is by faith, by trusting God's Word, that we understand that the world's were framed by the word of God. The planets, the solar system, everything beyond to the farthest reaches of the universe. Both the micro-universe and the macro-universe were all created by the one triune God. By faith. We know that we know that we know. God said so. That's what it is. And we know if God created things so vast and so full of splendor that we can exhaust a lifetime and in fact all of time to try to understand all the marvelous things God has wrought in the universe. We trust God's word, His declaration, what? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God revealed it. We trust Him. Abraham trusted God. He trusted God when God told him something that was absolutely impossible for any human being to believe in the natural. Should another human being come along and tell Abram became Abraham by faith that even though your wife doesn't have a child and you have passed the age of child bearing yet your offspring are going to be like the stars of heaven in the sky and the sand on the seashore almost countless when there is no hope for even one child. How can I believe for millions and billions of children when my wife is beyond the capacity of a human woman, human being, to have even one child? She's not able. We're not able. But God said, it's going to happen. He believed God. 
and it is credited to him as righteousness. We went further and saw in verse 4 that Abel was also counted righteous because the sacrifice, the offering that he brought to God was of such an excellent quality it reflected that he actually trusted that the living God is the king of all kings lord of all lords he deserves the best he had a living trust the God is the kind of God he reveals himself to be and not some substandard notion of deity no disrespect can ever be offered by Abel to God but Cain thought he could and he did how did he disrespect God by the offering that he brought it was not his best but Abel because he brought the offering that was his best was counted as a righteous person. He obtained witness. Who bore witness? God himself. The God who sees through every single motive. He knew every thought in Abel's heart. And God said, he's a righteous man. What he brought to me, and the motive with which he brought it, all tallies together to show that he believes me that I am who I am that I deserve the best because I am the God of glory and so we have here at least three instances and examples of how faith is exhibited and how this trust in God must continue to be exhibited by all who call upon him as Lord and God in order to graduate from one level of spiritual maturity to another and in order to prove that we are righteous people. It's very clear here. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. How did he exercise that faith? He had a revelation. And he believed God. The faith is not self-existent apart from the word of God. It comes by the word of God. And all who embrace the word of God, the covenant of God, the promise of God, they're able to exercise the faith. Enoch had a revelation just like Elijah did I'm going to take you and he believed and he was taken in a glorious way that he did not see death whatever God reveals to each and every one of us collectively as the bride of Christ the body of Christ and individually specifically to our lives and our situations must embrace it all. Say, Lord, you're worthy to be trusted. You're faithful, God. And I give you my all, Lord. 
I don't want to hold out and hold back anything from you, Lord. Come into my closet. Lord, examine my heart and set everything straight, O oh Lord, because you're worthy of all of me and my best. Surely Enoch you know, fit that description. Because God said, I want you to be with me forever now. Whereas his ancestors and his descendants outlived him on this earth, many of them, his eternity began far earlier than theirs. What a blessing. He was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Faith pleases God. A person who does not please God is manifesting unbelief, which is the opposite of trusting God. Right here we see the presence of authentic faith leads an individual, a church body, local body, to please God. They find out, Lord, what did you command and what do you require of me, Lord, in my marriage, on my job? It's not so much the human boss as my eternal boss, the God of glory. Because long after my human boss is gone or I leave the job or the job is gone, and I have to answer to my eternal Lord and God of how I did on the job. And if we have failed, if we have sinned against God in any area of our lives, this is the time to get it right by confessing, Lord, I was a thief. Lord, I was a gainsayer. Lord, I was a jealous person. Lord, I spoke behind my boss's back. Lord, I tore down other people out of envy. Lord, I did things that were shady in order to make a quick gain. God is so gracious that as much as he hates sin, he's so holy. His love causes his truth and mercy to join together to offer pardon and to purge us and to renew us to be something very different, to be well-pleasing to him. If we come to him and say, Lord, I understand very clearly that if I have genuine faith according to Hebrews 1 to 5 so far, I must be pleasing to you. I must be well pleasing to you, Lord, in everything. And I want to be a person of genuine faith because only such a person will make it to heaven. It's a dire necessity. To be faithful to you, Lord, and to trust you. Please help me 
to trust you in every area of my life and please pardon me for not trusting you in such, a, in such an area of my life. Forgive me for sinning against you, Lord, because God said in his word, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And if sin is present, faith is not there. What is present? Unbelief. Unbelief in this regard that the brashness, the boldness in a negative way, the brazenness, the arrogance, to insult God by saying, I will choose to do something against your will, which is to do what? Did Cain believe in God? He did, but he didn't worship God as God. So a believer can believe in God, but by sin, disrespect and dishonor and bring God down in their own imagination which has been darkened by the deceitfulness of sin. These are concepts and truths that are quite involved in scripture and taught so that we have no confusion whatsoever. We can know, isn't it wonderful, when you have such an item in your house as an air purifier, or a water uh, purifier. Isn't it wonderful to have a gauge, to have a marker, to have a guide that by such and such a date, or by the quality of the monitoring system within the unit, or by the color that we can observe of the filter, that its life is about to run out and if we don't replace it we could be drinking contaminated polluted water or breathing air that is quite unhealthy for us what a blessing to be able to monitor that instead of guessing and what a tremendous everlasting blessing to have the word of God and have the truth told to us and preached so that we can know whether we really have authentic faith or we simply believe like the devils and tremble. The evidence of faith, if faith is the evidence of things not seen regarding or with relevance to what God has promised, if faith is the substance of things hoped for, again with reference to what God has said and if faith is that receipt then the evidence that I have the receipt is that I depart from sin and I choose to be well pleasing to God that there's a testimony I don't do the things I used to do and I'm on a search and destroy mission to seek out the old leaven of malice within my own life so that the Spirit of God can freely dwell 
in my house, my body, my imagination, my very home. This is authentic faith. These are the descriptors that qualify the genuine faith before God. And we don't want to hear what man thinks about faith. I don't. I don't want to hear fiction. I don't want to hear what makes me feel good if that's not the truth. Because that can kill me. But the truth will give me life. And the truth comes from God. God defines faith. And here we have it. How blessed we are. That God would devote a chapter and many chapters in various parts of the Bible, Old and New Testaments, so that we can know exactly what a living, saving faith is, and not what the Bible calls, at the risk of sounding contradictory and paradoxical, a dead faith. In other words, a faith that's just not genuine. It's not the real article. But it's uh, impersonation. It's an imposter. We look at this hall of faith here and we say, Lord, can I be like Enoch? Surely you've put Abel here. And you have given the interpretation and explanation of his life briefly mentioned in Genesis so that I can be righteous like my ancestor Abel. How is he my ancestor? Not only because we all came from Adam, but we didn't become children of Abel because he was killed by faith we are his spiritual offspring just like we are spiritual offspring of Abraham so that a Jew that may have descended from even Abraham can only become a child of Abraham as Jesus said truly if he has faith and so a Gentile such as myself and all of you as far as I know, who are non-Jews. We belong to Abraham. We're also descendants of Abel, that noble soul, second born of Adam and Eve, who had a passionate, worshipful heart for the Lord God. And it was born witness by the living God, by the nature of his sacrifice, his offering. Yesterday evening we spoke on Romans 12, 1-2, that we ought to present our bodies first and foremost. God sees that the body is very important to him in worshipping God. Not simply to dance and to flail our arms and even raise our hands up primarily. But what we put on for clothing should be well-pleasing to God. 
not just ourselves or other people. How I present myself should be worthy and becoming of a Christian. Someone who belongs to Jesus Christ. The Holy One of Israel. What I put into my body, not just the negative substances, but within my food intake. If the Bible says in Corinthians that even what I eat and drink should glorify God, I ought to check on that because I'm going to be held accountable before God. One day, the Lord said, the word that I spoke to you, that will judge you. And I have a wonderful opportunity, golden opportunity to set things right before I get to judgment. Because the Bible says if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. What a generous and loving God we have. It's like a teacher who gives exactly the expectations laid out in the syllabus and conveys that and reinforces it. Make sure that the pupils, the students understand it and gets feedback from them to further ensure that they have understood it the way the teacher has meant it. And then, graciously give many opportunities to demonstrate the learning according to the ability of each pupil. God is the ultimate teacher, the ultimate savior, the ultimate father, who gives us all that we need to get our act together so that we can be in the same descendancy of faithful Abel and faithful Enoch. One day a generation will be raptured and whether we are in that generation or we suddenly and equally perhaps in the blink of an eye, in one heartbeat, or lack of it, get translated to be with the living God. In that sense, we can identify with Enoch that there will be a translation. There will be a transportation, a transport. But we will have to suddenly go to be with God. And we have opportunities. Enoch had 365 years or so. And what God has afforded us is sufficient for us to be able to prepare ourselves. Because God is fair. We have been given much, much, much more than the patriarchs ever had in many areas, many ways. We want to be well-pleasing to God. We see the connection with faith, trust in God. We see that if we sin against God, 
we are showing that we don't believe God anymore, at least not the way he really is. We have brought him down. We have insulted him. Sin is the absence of faith. Inasmuch as doubt is the absence of faith, unbelief is the absence and opposite of faith. No wonder God says by the Holy Spirit, speaking through Paul and others, that the people that came out of Egypt, they had unbelief. And they kept murmuring and complaining. You see, if they trusted God, they would have hope that God is going to make things better, and I believe it, it will happen. So why should I complain? Who would complain? Who in their right mind? Who is short of money to pay a bill and begin to complain about their situation, his or her situation, begin to murmur and every day, I don't have enough, I don't have enough. But then they get wind of the notice that the stimulus bill has passed and the checks are coming in more than sufficient to pay that bill that's been nagging them and they've been nagging about it. No one in their right mind would continue to cause those complaints to fester. Why? Because they've heard a word of promise that money's coming my way and I can be sure that it'll be more than enough to pay this bill. Human beings trust the government, which after all is made up of human beings. Man can trust another man, mankind, based upon a word. I'll deliver this to you. They trust Amazon much more than they trust the Alpha and Omega. That the goods will be delivered. I paid it with my credit card. And uh, they said it's going to be here next Thursday. I'm expecting it. There's no doubt there. How much more the word of the living God. We ought to wage war against satanic unbelief in our lives. And say, Lord, I worship you. Lord, if leaving you to go to a far country like the prodigal is sinful, Surely, what we've learned is that it's because of unbelief, not believing. Not believing in God's truth. The young man that left the father's house left because he was enticed by the devil of a life that could be better than staying at home with his dad. And he went and he almost got slaughtered forever. Unbelief, sin, rebellion, not pleasing God, all connected. But if I trust God, I will be well pleasing to Him. This goes again in line with the teaching of biblical eternal security. 
that we are secure so long as we obey God. There is absolutely zero security for any human being, no matter how long he or she has known God and served God. If disobedience has come in, and we see Ezekiel 18 very clearly teach that. That the righteous person that begins to get comfy, that I've been righteous for so long, and presumes upon the grace of God and begins to say, I think I'll be wicked today. If that person dies that day in the wickedness, God the Holy Spirit has recorded through Ezekiel that all the righteousness that person has done and has lived will not be remembered. That the person will die eternally for the sin. That's how careful we must be walking in the fear of God. We praise God for giving us the whole truth and nothing but the truth. person who dies drinking, dies smoking, dies in some immoral, immorality, immorality, dies in any rebellion, no matter how long they've been walking with God, no person who's speaking the truth will ever say that person is in a better place now. All the demons they tried to fight, they lost out and this person has gone away from all the struggles. God have mercy to make us live and speak the truth. May we never mislead and misguide anyone into thinking there's comfort in sin and in sinfulness. That past performance, past obedience, can never guarantee future life with God if the present experience has unbelief, not pleasing God, being headstrong, walking away from God, not trusting God. May we always speak the truth and love, first of all, to ourselves. Take ourselves by the scruff of the neck. If ever we feel like wandering away from God or not believing God and say, no, you don't do that. How quickly a parent is prone to do that, sometimes as an exhibition of their authority, especially in front of others. What a mockery to one's own soul and a damage to perform as some disciplinarian and authority figure on a little child to teach them right from wrong. You better listen to me. Be recklessly disobedient to the Heavenly Father who's watching every motive and every move. But we have a chance to be hard on ourselves whenever the flesh rises up to woo us, to entice us, to bait us, to become ungrateful, to murmur, to become jealous, to be bitter, to be vengeful, to be hateful, to play games with people, sometimes sarcastically, sometimes 
hidden between the lines there's hatred but it's covered with a God bless you I'm praying for you I love you when God sees the entire heart like an x-ray and you know what he will expose that on judgment day that on such and such a day you told so and so that you love them that you're praying for them and you said God bless you you took my name on your lips well you were a hypocrite and here I'm going to show the holy angels everyone that you were not true to me at all it's important to let these truths strike terror to our hearts so that we never ever presume upon God's grace or treat him cheap because we'll be the loser faith is pleasing God period anything and anyone that's not pleasing God does not have faith anyone that's disobedient to God don't you be the one to tell them a lie God understands God loves you you're going to make it instead of saying you can't go to heaven like that as much as I love you I'm telling you in love and in truth I used to think that way too until I heard the truth and I care about you and God cares about you we got to shape up or we will be shut out the good news is with all the bad news that can come to those who disregard God's truth and who like to stop their ears at the truth saying I don't want to hear this after the bad news for such people those who are bent on pleasing God we get even more alert you see when the righteous people see the destruction coming on the wicked their heart is filled with more gratitude to God than ever God that could have been me thank you Lord for sparing my life my soul and Lord I'm going to be even more careful to make sure that never becomes me I want to be well pleasing to God I want to do great exploits for God I want to do this and that I want to be part of a mighty revival I want to be a revivalist I want to learn the secrets I want to do all that but without faith none of that will happen before God we can have a false revival we can have a feel-good syrupy revival but that kind of revival will only attract bugs that will live there feasting on that syrup that is fake if we want the real thing we need to be well pleasing to God we need to fear the Lord we need to say Lord you commanded me something imagine if God gave one commandment since we got saved only one commandment suppose he said I want you to take the trash out every day just one commandment how many people will say well that's good for me I don't want to live in a stinky place with maggots and all kinds of things happening that's not good for my health 
and I can do it. I'll have a checklist on my refrigerator. I'll put it on my door. I'll put it on my mirror. I'll set alarms for that on my watch or my phone. All I have to do is take the trash out every day, and it's good for me. Now, what would such a person who's following that think of a person who finds it difficult? On two counts, they'll think that person is really, really foolish. On the one hand, because it's so easy to do. On the other hand, it's something that is so vital for me to live and be healthy. The Lord Jesus consolidated all of the commandments in just two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. And then love the person who's right next to you or who comes within your vicinity. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If I don't allow God's word to speak to me daily, to examine myself, am I really loving God? Am I really loving my neighbor? If it's not so, how can I love God who I haven't seen if I can't love the person who's in front of me? It says in 1 John 4. And it's been said, the Bible states, faith works by love. Love and faith go together. Because I trust God, I will believe Him. Because I believe Him, I'll obey Him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. The one who doesn't obey me, he doesn't love me. How beautiful and how uh, well-connected and so logical and so easy to understand God's Word is. If we shut out all the trash that we've been hearing by so many preachers, so many churches, convoluted, misguided, downright, satanic, to lull people who think they're good Christians further into the death sleep through disobedience, rank disobedience, living in adultery, abusing substances, abusing people, cheating, and everybody excuses everything because we're all human. You see, we're all sinners. I'm just a poor old sinner saved by grace. I can't make it to heaven by my obedience. That's why the Son of God obeyed for me on the cross. No, He didn't. He didn't obey for me. He was righteous. I have to obey what God says for me to obey. His obedience before God brought us the free gift of eternal life. But He didn't obey so we don't have to obey. And that's how very subtle and twisted it can be. Right down to a very blatantly, overtly blasphemous heresy. The people extend and extrapolate those things to mean I can smoke and go to heaven. 
I can uh, treat my body any way I'd like to and go to heaven. In other words, God is just there as a guarantee at the turnstile of heaven to say, come on in. You see, because he's already saved me. He doesn't care about how I live, what I do with my body, what I put in my body. As the psalmist says, those wicked people, they say, God doesn't see. He can't hear. We can do what we want. God cares and he watches our every move. Faith understands that very clearly. And faith sobers up a person. And faith gives delight to a person so that they can do what? They can be well-pleasing to God. There's a love there that motivates trust in, trusting in God. There's a trust there that motivates loving God, which all equals to obeying God. May the Lord give us understanding to once again be sharp so that we don't fall away. There's a constant warning in the book of Hebrews. We mentioned five major warnings and how deadly it would be and what a disservice to ignore any of those warnings. One warning would be plenty from God, but he's given five major warnings in the book of Hebrews. Why? So we can pay very close attention and not fall away as we have read in Hebrews 6 and we have read in Hebrews 10. God wants his children to know there's a possibility, there's a very real potential and possibility for apostasy for anyone who thinks that I'm okay. I don't have to watch as much. And that's when the fall happens. So the wise person doesn't walk on eggshells, as we say. Walks very firmly, firm-footed, but very clearly alert to any danger that's imminent. Staying clear of ungodly people, ungodly associations, ungodly pursuits and pleasures, period. We'll be on safe ground to enjoy all that God has for us and to be able to win people who have been deceived and are deluded, save them from going to hell. What a delight, what a joy for our own souls as well as to God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. May we emulate Abel and Enoch as we've looked at it even more closely. The first five verses in this chapter 11, Hall of Faith of Hebrews. That we can also do what? Teach others as we obey the voice of God. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you that today we can spring into this day with full assurance that we're well-pleasing to you. Have a great confidence that God is on my side because I'm pleasing him. That he will back me up. He will go ahead of me. He will hem me in on all sides. He's my provider, my protector. He's my everything. 
I have hope today. And I have faith that it's going to be a good day. Hallelujah. A blessed day because God will find me obedient to him. An obedient sheep to my great shepherd. Father, I pray for those who have a defiled conscience, who have problems in finding that assurance because of disobedience. Lord, help them to remember the word that they can just surrender to you and say they're sorry and receive your forgiveness instantly and be all the more determined that I will please my Heavenly Father. He's such a loving God. How can I not trust Him? And how miserable I've been when I didn't trust Him. Lord, help these thoughts to help guide your people to be on point with you today, Lord, to do the things you've called us to do. What a merciful God you are, Lord. You come to us when we have an attitude. Lord, you find us, Lord, when we are bent on backsliding. You come, Lord, and you speak to us gently to win us back. Not that you need us, Lord, but because you love us. Help all of us to be determined never to go astray from you and to have real faith by being well-pleasing to you and obedient to you, Lord, obedient to your voice. Never entertain unbelief and believe you for everything in every area, whatever you've told us to do, every commandment of God, to know that it is life to me just to follow it. And it is the most pleasing thing to my soul and benefit to my soul and my prosperity depends upon my heeding God's counsel. And it's good for me. This is the way I will live. Not living in two worlds, trying to. Not being untrustworthy. Lord, help each one to evaluate himself or herself. To determine whether we are trustworthy before you. Whether you can count on us. To be able to have such a witness and testimony. From God. Like you did with Abel and Enoch, Lord. That they were righteous and well-pleasing to you. Oh, Father. Move us into that mold more and more. In Jesus' name I thank you. Amen.